Luis von Ahn is familiar with the idea that education is a great equalizer, but the reality he's observed is different. More often than not, the opportunity for an exceptional education is available only to the wealthy, and it makes them even wealthier. So what can be done about it? Von Ahn was born in Guatemala, where much of the population is poor. So after he struck it rich selling a company to Google, he decided to build technology that really does address the wealth gap by targeting one type of education that does make a difference, language. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and you're listening to the Fort Knox podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I do this weekly, bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit and subscribe. Now, besides being the creator of Duolingo, Luis is also one of the creators of CAPTCHAs, those word puzzles you saw online to prove you're not a robot. So you have him to thank or blame. Luis von Ahn, uh, CEO of Duolingo. Thanks for sitting down for Fort Knox. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Duolingo, interesting uh, concept, learning a language. Um, and you've got a business model that's, you know, you can start for free. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to get maybe more efficient with it, you can pay. How did that come about? Well, we started, uh, we started about six years ago. We launched. Um, the, the, the key has always been uh, being able to offer a language education for free. Um, when Why? We, yeah, when we started, um, I had just sold my second company to Google right before that. And I, I wanted to do something that was you know, more out of passion. Um, and, and, and I wanted to do something related to education. Um, but my views on education are very related to where I'm from. I was born in Guatemala. It's a very poor country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people talk about education as something that can really equalize social classes, but I always saw it as the opposite, as something that, can, that, that, that brings inequality to social classes. Because what happens is that poor people uh, ba- barely learn how to read and write, in particular in countries like Guatemala. And because of that, they can never make a lot of money, whereas people with money can buy themselves the best education in the world, and therefore they keep having a lot of money. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do something that would give equal access to education to, to everybody. And decided to go, you know, education is very general, so decided to start with languages. And I guess we've been on languages this whole time. Uh, but languages in particular, you know, in particular English is, is a big deal. Um, uh, in, in there are many countries where, where knowledge of English can double your income potential. Really? Yes. Uh, well, I guess the U.S. is probably one of those two. Well, yeah. That's, it's, <laughs> you don't know English in the U.S., you're not doing well. It's definitely key here. <laughs> so, but in, in other countries, some people might not realize... Um, why that's so important, but is it access to markets? Is it uh, understanding the terms of the broader economy versus somebody trying to tell you what you're limited to? Yeah, it's a lot of things. I mean, for one, it's access to a lot of knowledge. I mean, a lot of stuff you know, on the internet is just in English. So that's one thing. But really, if you look at the, all the different types of jobs, I mean, if you look at a driver, uh, you can make more money by being a driver for tourists. Mm. If you look at a waiter, you can make more money by working at an international hotel. Uh, if you look at a CEO, you, can, you probably cannot be a CEO of a big company if you don't speak English. So, so just basically knowledge of English on average for, for in, you know, in, uh, abroad usually increases your income potential by, 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 by a factor of two. Mm. Um, and so languages had this nice thing that, and, and it's unlike math where if you, know, if you learn math, you usually learn math to learn physics to become an engineer. Like it's usually multiple steps removed. Mm-hmm. Whereas with knowledge of English, it's just you know, one step. You just know English and that's it. So, so that's what we started with. Um, but then you know, um, we didn't want to just teach English. We started teaching all kinds of other languages. And, and, but always our mission has been offer education for free. 
But of course, we're a for-profit company. We've gotten you know, over $100 million in funding, so we also need to do something good for our, for our shareholders. Um, so we, we eventually came up with this business model, which we've been, we've been doing for the last year and a half and, and improving over the last year and a half, which is um, we have enough users. We've grown a lot. So we have enough users that just How many? putting... So total number of users is 300 million. Wow. Um, yeah, and so we have enough that putting an ad at the end of every lesson actually gives us tens of millions of dollars. So a very small ad at the end of every lesson gives us tens of millions of dollars. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is we decided to do, to do a subscription to turn off the ads and to also uh, be able to uh, learn offline. So if you're like in the subway, um, you can learn offline with a subscription. And it turns out the subscription actually gives us more money than the ads. So it's similar to Spotify, mm -hmm. uh, where you, know, you, you can do it entirely for free, but you get to listen to ads. Uh, and if, if you don't want to, you just you know, uh, pay. How do you measure success at something like language learning, where, I mean, maybe you can tell uh, how somebody's completing a test or an exercise mm -hmm. on a device, but that's mm -hmm. a lot different from being fluent and able to have a conversation in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, so we, we do measure in the app. Um, uh, you know, you may, you may not be aware of this when you're doing the app, but some of the exercises we're giving you, they're actually only there for us to measure how much you've learned. Um, and so we do, we do have good measurements about how, you know, how people's vocabulary is increasing, how, how much, you know, uh, how their grammar is increasing, etc. But one thing we're not measuring, and you're right, this is a big problem in, in learning a language, um, is just even many people even know a lot of the language, but there's one big thing they're just not very comfortable with, which is just overcoming the anxiety of actually speaking. Mm. Uh, that we, we just have not been able to measure it too much. You call uh, that fluency? What do you call that? Well, there's different. I mean, the, the more I get into the more I get into language learning, the more I realize this. A lot of these terms like fluency, they're they're good sort of uh, marketing things, but they're mm -hmm. not a super precise. Um, we actually, uh, what what we do with with um, with language learning is the best way to measure language learning is this thing called the Common European Framework of Reference, uh, which which gives you a bunch of levels that starts with A1, then A2, B1, B2, C1, C2. C2 is a is a perfectly you know kind of like a native person. Uh, and A1 is sort of a, a very beginner. So, and, and we have, you know, we, we, we have measurements about, about where in the, in the scale each person is. Wow. Well, I want to get into your background. You mentioned that you sold your second company to Google and then embarked on this Duolingo uh, adventure. The second company, was that reCAPTCHA? Yes, yes. So uh, it's interesting, a, a lot of people, anybody who's tried to sign into pretty much anything online has encountered CAPTCHAs, these yes. things. Usually uh, a bunch of letters, sometimes you know, twisted on their sides and Very different annoying. fonts, whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> and if you're, if you're not a computer, then you're gonna have an easier job reading the thing and it just kind of keeps systems from getting spammed by bots or, or or whatnot, but you took that capture concept, which you were key in developing in the first mm -hmm. place, mm -hmm. and applied it in a different way to be productive for translation. Uh, talk about how you got the idea and how much of a difference it's made in taking old texts and uh, and making them readable. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, this this it was sort of combining two things that didn't seem like they were, <laughs> they should be combined. Yeah. Um, so the, the original CAPTCHA was these distorted letters. Uh, I was uh, one of a few people that were in a team that invented that. Uh, then uh, every website started using those, the distorted letters. There, this, every website started using them. 
and then um, did you make money off of that no no this was we were uh, it was a we gift were, to the world yeah we, we, i don't know if you call it a gift to the world. <laughs> well <laughs> the first find, time is free <laughs> yeah right <laughs> exactly it's premium uh so so we you know that that started being used everywhere uh and at some point i did did a little back of the let envelope. me pause there for yes. a moment because origin stories are fascinating how does a group of people end up inventing captcha like are you are you in a a cafeteria somewhere? No. And like, no. This was, where this does this that come from? It was happenstance. Uh, we had. I was. I was getting a PhD in computer science at Carnegie Mellon University. I was in my first year. That makes PhD. sense. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the guy who at the time was the chief scientist of Yahoo. So in 2000, Yahoo was kind of the biggest company. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a huge Google. deal. Uh, the the guy who was the chief scientist of Yahoo came to give a talk at Carnegie Mellon, and he said. Um, the talk was about 10 problems that they didn't really know how to solve at Yahoo. Uh, one of them was that um, people were writing programs to obtain millions of free email accounts at Yahoo. And they didn't know how to stop that. And so that was the problem. He, you know, he said, we don't really know how to solve that. There were nine other problems that I don't actually remember. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, from there, I was there. I started having some thoughts about that. I talked to the guy who was my PhD advisor, who's Manuel Blum, who's a very famous computer scientist. And then together. Uh, along with other sort of PhD students, uh, we, we sort of started riffing on you know, how we could solve this and eventually came up with the fact that computers have a hard time reading these distorted characters, but, but humans don't. So you brought the idea out of that challenge that mm -hmm. a, a speaker presented. What kind of uh, different skills or perspectives did you or others end up assembling to solve the problem? We were all computer scientists. We okay. were just trying to come up with, with, with a solution for it. I mean, we, we, we evaluated a lot of different possible solutions. Um, you know, the, like the, the distorted, maybe, yes. Or? So that was actually the first idea was, was actually showing you, you know, you could do like an image search. Uh, at the time, this was not, this didn't work so well for computers, but you could do an image search. So you could uh, do something like um, look for pictures. You, you could search for house. You get a bunch of houses and then you just show the pictures and you ask people, what are these off? And they had to enter house. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of the first idea. It wasn't as good um, because uh, sometimes the pictures were not super clear, and you know people may say home, and it's not you know or some something that's very similar. Uh, whereas the, the the characters, there's only one correct answer, and there's it's very nice that there's a key for every one of the of the things. So. It, it seemed to be a better idea than distorted characters. Now you sounded a little ambivalent about what CAPTCHA gave to the world. Uh, why is that? Well, it's because <laughs> this is this is what gave you know gave me the idea for the second one, this recapture. Um, people don't like these. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Anything that slows you down, you kind of hate, right? right? Speed so that's bumps, the thing. It's a speed captures, bump. It's a speed bump. Right. It's like passwords. It's a it's, it's a speed bump, and. Um, at some point, I realized that about 200 million of these were typed every day by people around the world. And that's when I, that, that's when I thought, um, OK, well, first I thought I was pretty proud of myself because I thought, oh, 200 million times a day, that's great. But then I remembered, oh, most people that I tell about this don't actually like, like the oh, capture. Yeah. you're the guy. <laughs> yes. Right. So, so, and, and, and it also it takes about 10 seconds uh, uh -huh. to do one. So if you multiply 10 seconds by 200 million, humanity as a whole was wasting about 500,000 hours every day. Yeah. So I thought, okay. So you're actually killing people. It's the way you're <laughs> every day. <laughs> it's like of. an entire lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So so I uh, you know I, I started thinking, can we can we at least make good use of this time? Yeah. See, because and the reason I started thinking that is because during those 10 seconds, your brain is doing something that computers cannot do. 
So uh, uh, it, it occurred to me, you know, can we get you to do something useful mm. that computers cannot do? And, mm -hmm. and that's when it occurred to me that, you know, at the time, uh, Google was trying to digitize all of the world's books. Um, and the, the process, it works as follows. Is you start with a book and you scan it. Now, scanning what it is is taking a digital photograph of every page of the book. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a, a photograph with, with words. Uh, then the computer needs to decipher these words. But for the same reason that computers are not very good at deciphering distorted characters, sometimes in these pictures, either the ink has faded or the pages have turned yellow, the computer could not recognize many of the words. Mm -hmm. But humans can usually do it. So what we, the idea with reCAPTCHA was to start taking the words that the computer could not recognize in the book digitization process and send them to people while they're typing a CAPTCHA on the internet. So whenever you were buying tickets for Ticketmaster, the word that you got that was really distorted actually came from a book that the computer could not recognize. And we were, we were using what people entered to help digitize it. Um, right. So that was the idea. So I mean, in a sense, do you get paid twice in that scenario? Um, you get paid by Ticketmaster because you stopped the bots from attacking them, yeah. and then you get paid by Google because you're solving a problem for it. So them. you could have, but we what we decided to do to get adoption of the system is we actually gave it for free to Ticketmaster, mm. not just Ticketmaster, to anybody. Any website that wants to not going to buy you out. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got smarter after that first go right. around, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so not just not just Ticketmaster, but also like uh, you know any website, Facebook. Everybody was able to use it for free. That sure. got us a lot of adoption. Nonprofits. Yes. But in the in the back end, we were digitizing books, and uh, that's where you know it made a lot of sense for Google to buy it to for to help improve their book digitization process, and so that's that that was that that was that project. And Google buys it. Does that transaction change your life? It does. Um, that, that, I mean, that was that was big enough that it, it sort of made it so that I didn't have to work uh, anymore. So, um, so that's why I started working on Duolingo. So, for a guy you mentioned uh, growing up, Guatemala, not a rich country. What does that do to you, for you? A lot of people, even who have a lot of intelligence, when they're presented with entirely new circumstances, mm. life conditions, it can be daunting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I started. I started having really bad habits. No, I'm kidding. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it really. I, I don't know what it has done. I, I um, the, the main thing it has done on my end is it, it has made it so that I don't. I don't worry too much about you know how can this be profitable for me, etc. I, I just the main thing I worry about now is time. That's mm. the one thing I, you know, my, my outlook in life completely changed that. Now I, the, my main concern is time uh, and how I spend my time. And the other thing is it made it so that, you know, before that, um, most of the things I wanted to work on were things that I thought were cool or for technological reasons or something. But after that, I mean, most of the things I want to work on are usually for impact. Like I really try, I really am, you know, with Duolingo, most everything we do are, are things that are just, that we think are going to have a positive impact. Um, so that that changed my mind. That hasn't always been the case. I mean, it used to be the case that I that I thought mm, maybe if we did this, we could make more money or something. And that, that mm -hmm. sort of has changed. Interesting. Some people make a little money and they want to make a lot more. It seems to have had a different effect on you, where you're like, okay, I don't have to think about that anymore. Yeah. The the variety of of problems and challenges that you've tackled. Um, tell me if I'm reading into this right. There seem to be some common threads mm -hmm. having to do with the way people think versus the way. Uh, machines think and how they can work together in certain cases to create a better result than machines alone or people alone. For sure. I mean, that's that's a, that's exactly what a lot of the things I worked on. I mean, that was the case with with reCAPTCHA. I mean, he, machines alone couldn't digitize all the all the books. 
humans alone probably couldn't have done that because it's just too too much effort. Um, but together, uh, you know, they, they could they could work better together. Um, uh, yeah, and and you know, in the case of Duolingo, what we're trying to do is we're really trying to come up with a with the best way to teach people languages. And uh, uh, you know, what we do this is this a little different, but one thing we do is we just because we have so many people learning on Duolingo, we actually can watch them learn. Uh, I mean, we, we watch all the data, et cetera, and, and we're, we're all the time trying new, new ways to teach to see which ones work better and which ones don't. So we're actually running tons of experiments at the same time. So whenever you use Duolingo, it's probably a little different for you than it is for me hmm. because we're running an experiment on you. Uh, and so we're running experiments on all our users to try to, to, try to improve how well we teach. And it's because it's, um, you know, it, it's really the first time ever, not just Duolingo, but any, anything that we're, we're, that we're teaching online. It's the first time ever where we can watch millions of people learn. Uh, in the past, um, you know, a, a lot of studies on how to best teach, et cetera, were based on you know, a classroom somewhere you know, with 20 kids. Right. Um, that, that's not going to get you very good scientific results. And you try to pick extreme conditions you know, maybe kids with big challenges for learning and yeah. a teacher with, with great training and then how far are, are they able to, to bring the students and therefore what can we learn from that? Yeah. Which is kind of anecdotal. You it don't is. know if it'll apply to broader populations or to yep. average but well-meaning teachers. Yep, exactly. So, so but now uh, with, you know, when people are learning online, we can actually watch and we can, we can do all kinds of slicing of the data and we can, and we can see, you know, people with these characteristics uh, learn, you know, learn better if we do this type of stuff. Um, so, you know, even simple things, you know, when we were starting Duolingo, we, I didn't know much about teaching languages. I mean, I, I was a computer scientist. <laughs> um, and so we, we had very simple questions. We were engineers trying to make something that would teach languages. So we would say like, okay, well, should we teach plurals before adjectives? Um, okay. And there really wasn't a consensus for most things. I mean, you would look and, well, people usually do this, but did, did they know that it was the best thing? They didn't. It's just like, this is kind of what people usually do. Um, so, you know, we launched with something, but after we had enough users, now we can actually answer this question on our own. So wow. if, if we want, um, for the next 50,000 people that sign up, uh, to half of them we teach in plurals before adjectives, to the other half we teach them adjectives before plurals, and then we can measure which ones learn better, once and for all. For this particular language, at least among our users, it turns out, you know, I don't know, for plurals are better than adjectives, doing first. So why aren't you guys uh, selling curriculum to schools and school districts? I mean, if you, if you are learning things on a massive scale about the, you are? I uh, know we're not, we oh, are okay. learning, we're not selling. But, but, but why aren't you? <laughs> well, first of all, um, one thing I have learned with Duolingo, uh, working with school districts is <laughs> not the easiest of things. Uh, it's, it's a very complicated, I mean, we, we've re we realize what we're good at and what we're, we're bad at. We're, we're good at uh, making uh, an app that millions of people can use. Mm -hmm. Selling to school districts is, a, is, is, is very similar to lobbying. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and it's not something we're very good at. I mean, it really requires the companies that Maybe are good at Maybe you can be proud that you're not very good at that. Well, I don't know if I'm <laughs> proud or not, but uh, the companies that are good at that really have huge sale f sales forces that, you know, wine and dine all the appropriate people, et cetera. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to sell to school districts. So we're not, we're not dealing with that. There's, there's another reason, which is um, I don't claim to say that necessarily the things we're figuring out apply to the school scenario mm. because we're in a very different scenario. What happens with us is... Um, we actually do many things that are known not to work very well in schools, but it's because um, 
in the school setting, a, a, a student, a child, um, is essentially held hostage in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, they have to be there. They have to be they're, there. They're, they're told in a lot of cases, well, you have to take a language. You, you just which you have one? to be there. Right? right. You have to be there. As opposed to, I'm choosing to download this app because I really want to learn Spanish. And further, uh, you're using this app and maybe you want to learn Spanish, etc. But it's so tempting to just go to Instagram. <laughs> like, it's just so, so, so in our end, many of the things we do um, may not be optimal for teaching, but they are optimal for teaching and keeping you there at the same time. Mm. So we need to keep you, we need, so we, we need to basically get you addicted to learning a language. And it's not something that, um, you know, schools have to worry about. And, right. and in fact, most of the uh, research on, on, you know, education and education psychology, et cetera, just does not apply for us, to, to us because it, it, they always start from the assumption that the student's there and they're right. not leaving. Yeah. They're just there. Whereas <laughs> we have to start from the assumption that it, you know, very likely the student is going to want to go to uh, play Candy Crush. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's why it, it's just a different setting. So it, it may not, many of the things we do may just not apply to the school setting. Now, you are an ideal person to ask this question. Uh, we look into the, the future of work, the impact of artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, on, on the types of work that people will be doing in the future. When you look forward, 10, 20 years, what are the things that humans can do, mm -hmm. the ways that humans think that are uh, least attackable, least solvable by machines? It's, it's a, a three-dimensional version of the capture problem, yeah, 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 but yeah, for yeah. the entire society, the entire globe, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, first of all, very hard to predict the future, so it's unclear what will happen. Uh -huh. um, uh, uh, some of the things that humans seem to be really good at, um, so artistic endeavors, uh, you know, uh, it's pretty hard. Uh, it's pretty hard that a computer is going to be making a novel. Uh, of course, it's also pretty hard to make money off of making a novel. So <laughs> <laughs> but you know, artistic endeavors are, are things that are probably going to be the one, some of the last things that, that, that computers really take over. Um, uh, you know, things that require uh, sort of a lot of interpersonal stuff. Uh, I think that's also going to be difficult. Um, there's something about humans that may not even be that much about our intelligence, but it's just when you when you sit in front of a human, uh, uh, they a lot of times can make you they can make you feel better by just their posture, mm -hmm. and that is something that is going to be very difficult for computers to do. I mean, maybe at some point they'll do it, uh, but right now, you know, humans are extremely motivating. They're extremely, um, you know, just just uh, this is something that we grapple with at Duolingo. I mean, a teacher can have so much impact on their students by just by just having a an expression of disappointment mm. hey, how do we do that with an app um, <laughs> <laughs> this just it just does not so so that's the type of thing that I think is going to be is going to be the longest uh, to, to take over um, um, unfortunately very um, repetitive uh, work that's going to go away pretty soon so the more repetitive it is, the more the more computers will be able to do it uh, soon. Um, yeah. Which I guess enhances your the value of your original mission, right? Which was to bring languages to people so that they could begin to close that gap between the haves and the have-nots, the the knows and the no lesses. Uh, this is this is what I want to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Luis, thanks for sitting down. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. 
Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's a brand new and great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. That's the absolute best way to be in touch with me, too. Leave me a comment on that series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. As a matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of this conversation. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. Meanwhile, share this, tell a friend, drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.